we're going to be mighty popular today. <laughs> uh, because on today's podcast, we have Christy Nome. And uh, she didn't do well on Tucker last night. At least that's the perception. Tucker went after her and said, you know, you're selling out your values for this um, NCAA debacle where South Dakota is saying, wait, we're not going to fight this in the colleges because we might lose. There's a lot of half information and wrong information out there. And going into the podcast, I didn't know if I was going to agree with her or disagree. And when we disagree, we tell people to their face. And so they they hate us. They hate us. Mm -hmm. So did she hate us or not? What really happened? Yeah, we'll get into that. I think that's it's an interesting conversation about uh, just the conservative direction in general that we get into as well there. Let's talk about the border. Uh, quite a bit today. Yeah, we had uh, an expert who's down on the border, just about to cross into Mexico, because he is a you know homeland security guy. Been with the uh, DPS here in Texas. He's he's a guy who knows this inside and out. He said, "I can't get any information from anyone on the American side, but boy, people talk on the other side of the border." And he told us what's really going on there. So don't miss it. All that and so much more on today's podcast. And don't forget blazetv.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn to get save 10 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV. You can uh, ch- click on over to uh, Stu Does America and subscribe to that podcast every day. New episode as well as this one as well. Rate and review the podcast. And I will tell you, uh, if you happen to be in California or really anywhere where there's a crappy governor, we have the brand new Just in Stock Anyone Else for Governor. Cups, mugs available at stewdoesmerch.com. I think you'll like them. Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Todd Benzman. He currently serves as the Texas-based senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies, Washington, D.C. Policy Institute. Uh, He led the counterterrorism intelligence for the Texas Department of Public Safety's Intelligence and Counterterrorism Division in its multi-agency fusion center. Before his Homeland Security Service, he was a journalist for 23 years, covering national security after 9-11 as a staff writer for major newspapers and reporting in 25 different countries. Uh, He is also the author of the book America's Covert Border War, the untold story of the nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration. He joins us now. I believe you're in Mexico now, Todd. Is that right? Uh, At the moment, I'm on uh, the Texas side. And as soon as we're done with this call, I'm going to head over into Piedras Negras, uh, which is on uh, a smaller city on the Mexican side across from Eagle Pass texas and yesterday i spent um all day in ciudad acuna across from del rio so tell me what is really happening on the border well migrants are coming from all over mexico southern mexico and also from other parts of mexico where ports of entry are walled or there are there better walling in those areas and harder to get across So what they're doing is they're sector shopping for the easy routes in. And this happens to be one of the easy sectors they perceived easy to get through and into the United States and be released. And so just in the past week in this sector, about 5,700 migrants uh, crossed over and were apprehended or got away. About 1,700 got away, estimated, which 
uh, compares to like kind of in the low hundreds on a normal week. Mm. Uh, so, so we're really seeing a major, major spike happening in this sector because it's perceived to be forgiving and easy to get through. So is this happening with the Texas uh, border patrol as well? I mean, I, because we've had this problem before with, with Obama, not this bad. Um, but uh, Texas DPS has been down on the border and they are different than the border patrol from CBP. Are they? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I, you know, there, there's a trooper uh, car just about a mile behind me on the road here. Uh, they, you see them all over They're They're deployed along with uh, national guard. I've seen national guard here. And the purpose of that is to fill the gap because Border Patrol is spread very thinly in an area like this. This is why it's easy to get through here. Uh, where there's no walling, they just come through and either bum rush the, the, the agents who are here and get past them, or uh, they can, you know, family units know that they can turn themselves in. So some are running and some are turning themselves in. The family units are being paroled right into the country with notices to appear and now they're not even bothering with notices to appear in some parts of the border yeah, they're, they're they're just wave they're just waving them through the turnstile and in, into the greyhound bus stations and so yeah a couple days and ago, are we wait 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 wait, wait are we the united states government is paying for these trips all over america right i wouldn't say that they're uh paying for the bus fare but they there are ngos that are facilitating mm-hmm. Uh, communications and wire, you know, the migrants are getting money wired in from relatives and they're paying for their bus fare. But there are NGOs that are assisting and uh, cooperating with all of all of that. But you've got uh, DPS is here and National Guard. And what happens is they can catch migrants. They can't hold them for long. And they call Border Patrol comes and picks them up. So it's really good to have them here. Okay, so we have noticed a difference. Um, we have we have good relationships with the uh, border patrol, uh, and we are we're getting a total blackout. People won't talk to us, and it is leading us to believe that there that is there's something happening here on the border, and nobody wants to talk about it. Is that just me being me, or are you experiencing uh, kind of a blackout as well? Total blackout, Glenn. Uh, this is this is unusual. Look, I mean, let's just face it. It's the Biden administration caused all of this with their campaign rhetoric during the campaign, and then their very first moves were to just open the border wide, reinstitute catch and release. The migrants that I talked to over there on Mexico side all tell me, with a, to a man and woman, that the reason that they came now was to take advantage of Biden's policies. And it's embarrassing to, you know, to the uh, Biden administration. They don't want people to see this. Uh, they'll tell you privately that that's what it's all about. And they don't want to um, advertise what they've done and what they're going to be doing. And I think that, um, you know, you could get the story without their cooperation. I didn't even bother after the first couple of phone calls, I saw that this thing was going nowhere. There was going to be no embedding and no interviews with Border Patrol. But I'll tell you this, Glenn, I've got 
a lot of Border Patrol agents all from California to the Gulf of Mexico who do talk to me on a regular basis, and I know what's going on, at least through their eyes. But the most important thing is that you can see it through the eyes of the migrants if American reporters would just bother to interview them. What are they saying besides we came because of Biden? Well, they're saying, we, A, we came, we came because of Biden, uh, and they're saying that they know that they can get in now. They're going to get in now, sooner or, or very soon. Uh, nobody, nobody who's coming to the border doesn't believe that they're not going to get in during this administration. Unbelievable. Uh, and they're, and, and they're, they're very frank about, you know, the fact that they're coming in for economic reasons. Nobody, nobody is talking about political, how the government persecuted me. Not one of them will tell you that. They don't usually say that until they get coaching from an NGO legal group that tells them what to say to get uh, asylum. Uh, none of these people are here for asylum, but they're all going to use the asylum system to just get in through past the border patrol and win, lose, or draw. They're going to stay inside the United States illegally, legally, win, lose, or draw on their claim. They're here for economic reasons. Can you give me the, um, the name of any of these uh, NGOs that you feel are instrumental in all of this? Uh, Raices, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right, is a, is a key one. Uh, they're a legal uh, support group, and uh, they are all over this. They're on both sides of the border. Uh, that's one that immediately comes to mind, and I can get in touch with you after the yeah, show please and, do. and shoot you some other ones. So, but, uh, you know, there's a... Yeah, go ahead. Um, we had the pictures that came out yesterday, and uh, we tried to get a hold of anyone yesterday. We were completely ghosted on, you know, it's, and it's, that's not usual. Uh, we were completely ghosted by everyone when we were asking for verification of what James O'Keefe said yesterday, that there is sexual abuse and abuse happening in these centers, and no one will get back to us. Have you heard anything like that? No. Uh, as far as the det what's happening inside the detention centers, that's just a blackout uh, okay. for me and everybody else. And unfortunately, I don't have uh, ICE sources that are close to the detention centers at the moment. Uh, but, you, but, um, you, you know, I expect, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. You expect. Well, I, I, you know, you can't keep that kind of a secret for very long. I mean, eventually the truth will come out. Mm. I mean, sometimes I, I will say that I have seen, uh, those kind of claims, especially during the Trump administration made frequently and, um, not turn out to be uh, supported okay because they use those claims to force releases oh well we've got to release them now because okay. everybody thinks that they're you know so so tell me skeptical so tell me this because i was there uh, under the obama administration and i saw what was happening with the cartels the cartels are having uh, the word is they're making more money on this than they even are on the drug trade right now. Can you tell me how dangerous it is and what this policy is 
is is forcing people into and not forcing, but is is leading them into these relationships with the drug cartels. There are sectors along the border that are entirely controlled by the cartels. Uh, that's absolutely true, and nobody gets across in those sectors without paying the piso to those guys. Uh, the coyotes and the smugglers all have to pay the cartels for access to the Texas border. And there are so many migrants. The demand is so they are flooding in in such huge numbers that even the cartels are having to reconstitute uh, themselves to expand their smuggling branch, so to speak. And they're giving these migrants uh, wrist bracelets. It's a human inventory control. That's actually happening uh, down, especially in the um, Rio Grande Valley sector and Laredo sector now, uh, where you have to prove that you've paid by wearing one of these wristbands. They're numbered, which indicates a registration system on the Mexican side. In the area where I am right now, uh, they're less uh, active. Uh, the migrants that I talked to yesterday just crossed themselves over. Uh, there, there are some sectors like this that are not, uh, you know, heavily involved in the smuggling trade. But as I said, migrants are shopping for the easy routes in. Uh, so they're coming to this sector in increasing numbers, and it's just a matter of time before the uh, cartels uh, assert themselves over here in this one, too. All right, so... Todd, let me ask you about the cartels. How much does it take? I've heard anywhere from $2,000 to $20,000 to get people over. How much money is it actually taking for people to have their kids or them, their families smuggled over? So it ranges in price, of course, by nationality and location. So in the RGV right now, the Rio Grande Valley sector, uh, the demand is so strong that the prices have gone up, of course, and it's $2,500 for a Mexican or Central American individual just to cross the river. We're not talking about the money that, that, that it costs to get from Guatemala and through the southern uh, part of Mexico. So how are all of these people affording $2,500 on top of what they've well, already spent? It gets worse. I mean, if you're from Africa, remember, there are uh, migrants coming from all over the world. Uh, Africa, the Middle East, we got Middle Yemenis coming through. Great. Iranians just hit the border in Arizona. We can talk about that. My book, America's Covert Border War, is all about that kind of migrant. Those guys are paying $9,000 a head. If you're from an Arabic uh, country, Arabic-speaking country, you're paying $9,000. If you're from Africa, 5000 And where they get the money is, uh, to the best of my knowledge, a few places. One is that they have uh, U.S.-based relatives, especially like the Cubans uh, and the Haitians, they have U.S.-based relatives that will wire them money to get in. Uh, and then there's another thing that is happening with especially Central Americans, uh, who don't really have 2500 bucks to get over the border, is they owe it to the cartels. Yeah. So they have to give the names of their family members, cell phones that are called to prove that the, the family member answers, uh, home addresses and that sort of thing. And if they don't pay the uh, price, then you know there are repercussions or the threat of repercussions against family members. And that's kind of a, 
a kind of an indentured servitude, a kind of a slavery. It's a terrible uh, thing that's happening with with that. Uh, and then um, also people in the home countries uh, will raise money. Relatives in home countries like Bangladesh or um, Syria will raise money and get it here because if they can get somebody anchored in here, then uh, their relatives will come in under chain migration. Okay. <laughs> so it's it's a great it's a great investment for you know and somebody in in northeast Punjab in India or Pakistan. We have lots of Pakistanis that cross. Give me the uh, give me. I'm I'm about out of time. I've got about two or three minutes. Tell me about the sure. Iranians that have just crossed. Yeah, well, we had 11 Iranians cross in Arizona. They were apprehended. Uh, we had three uh, Yemeni migrants on the terror watch list that, that crossed in New Mexico, and a Serb uh, who crossed in New Mexico who also was on the terror watch list. We have about 20 a year, by my reckoning, who are on terrorist watch lists before they get to the border or, or at the border. And what typically happens in, in, in this is way longer than a minute, uh, but there there will be there's supposed to be uh, security investigations that happen inside the detention facilities, FBI and ICE intelligence and DIA and intelligence community agencies are supposed to be on this. When the border systems break down under the crush of a mass migration surge, all bets are off on that. Uh, where everybody gets waved in and nobody has time to mess with Iranians or Yemenis or Syrians coming over. And I'm very concerned about that, Glenn. What should, what can people do? Well, for one thing, people need to contact their, uh, their representatives in Congress and the Senate uh, and make sure that the eye remains on the ball in terms of special interest aliens, these are the guys coming in from those countries through Panama right now. They're all coming in right now, uh, hoping to make the best of the Biden border uh, and make sure that nobody forgets about that. And really, the best thing that ever happened in illegal immigration control was remain in Mexico. That policy, yeah. totally innovative. It worked like a charm. Uh, and in the deportations to the third countries, they got rid of those right away. Put those back. Okay. Those were great. Those were great agreements. Todd Bensman, the name of the book is America's Covert Border Wall a War. We will check in with him again. Thanks, Todd. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. If you are ready for some really great news, keep listening. Built Bar is back, and it is unbelievable. If you've been listening to my show this year, I love Built Bars. Uh, it's an all-American story. This is a client I asked to be on the show because I didn't listen to my wife again. And she'd been telling me about it, but it has protein bar on it. And those always taste like a doormat. 
This is unbelievable. The mint brownie flavor. Oh, yes, baby. It is life changing. The new bars taste better than ever. In addition to the 12 original flavors, Built Bar just added cookies and cream, carrot cake, caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, apple almond crisp. I mean, it's just it's great. Built Bar, delicious, nutritious, high protein, low calorie, high fiber, low carbs, 100 percent real chocolate and 100 percent really good. Plus, they've reset the code for this new launch right now go to builtbar.com use the promo code back get ten dollars off your first order promo code back builtbar.com i'm going to talk to you about a couple of things that are really important let me start with computer chips they are the tiny little blocks made of silicon cobalt and copper and they power everything we rely on watches your refrigerator clock television washing machines dishwashers everything And it's only getting more and more so. Every object has become more complex. They need more computer chips. But the supply chains are down. And no one has any idea when they're going to get any better. The Guardian says that the global shortage in computer chips has reached a crisis point. In cars... We need computer chips for airbags, power windows, radios, dashboards, catalytic converters, all of it. The BBC just did an interview with the CEO of Volkswagen North America, and here's what he said. I would say two things. I think the first thing, there's been massive instability in the supply chains, whether it's been COVID, whether it's been other issues. So we have at least gotten very good at managing that instability. And frankly, that's what we've been doing week to week car by car, looking at our profit margins, looking at where we have shortfalls, and managing that. I think things will get stable by the fall, but certainly it's going to be complicated and it's going to be challenging. But I think we'll navigate it, particularly here in the U.S. market between our two main plants, Puebla in Mexico and Chattanooga in Tennessee. Okay, so this this sounds good, right? Week to week, car by car. That's not good. That's not good, but he's optimistic. But that's what you'd expect a CEO to say. Let me give you some more information. Ford has already started canceling shifts at two of its plants and expects $2 billion in damage as a result of the computer chip shortage. The same for Nissan and General Motors. That means workers here in America, industries even that stand to benefit from the computer chip shortage, they're they're having a hard time. Because of the COVID-19, it caused a surge in electronic purchases. Apple is the biggest buyer of computer chips in the world. They spend $58 billion a year. The demand for computer chips is so high that even Apple has to wait in line. Even Apple, last year, they delayed the release of the iPhone 12 by two months because of a shortage. Samsung is the largest, sorry, second largest buyer of chips. They're the second largest producer as well. They sell roughly $56 billion worth of semiconductors, and they consume $36 billion billion worth. The COVID-19 lockdown is only one of the problems. It really exposed the problem. The pro-lockdown people want everybody to stay home at their office they want everything to remain the same but the things we rely on to operate they require more computer chips and the the shortage is troubling uh more troubling than any one cause really last week 
there was a major fire at one of the biggest computer chip suppliers in the world. Last month, the power failure here in Texas caused two factories in Austin, Texas, to suspend production, which typically runs 24-7 in Austin. Then there is talk of what's happening with the global economy. Then there's China. China is the world's largest importer and consumer of computer chips. Now they want to be the largest producer. They've spent the last decade working on strategies for tech self-reliance, and they've been stockpiling computer chips. This is what the Biden administration really means by infrastructure, by we need to invest in our infrastructure. We are becoming more like China, public-private partnerships, and you will see more and more that we are going to get into the investment world. Last month, Bloomberg reported Chinese businesses bought $32 billion of equipment used to produce computer chips from Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, and elsewhere. It's a 20% jump from the year before. They have not mastered the technology yet. They can't mass produce chips at that level. They're about a decade behind everyone else. But here's another troubling factor. The chip shortage also affects the defense industry. We need computer chips for all of our guided missiles, for our airplanes, for everything we do. And it's also going to hit you. Prices are going to rise for anything that has a chip in it. Computers, cars, cars may get actually harder to get. We're living in a country now that I don't recognize. I've never seen in my lifetime where you have to wait. I'm not I'm an American. What? Wait. What do you mean? It will be six months before it's here. And that's happening all the time. And people say there's no inflation. Well, as somebody who has had to buy a lot of plywood uh, lately. Really? Because that piece of plywood used to cost about twelve, fifteen dollars in some places in the country. It's now fifty six dollars. Uh, what's up? What's up with that? We are hitting inflation and fourteen hundred dollars in Biden bucks is not really going to hold us over. This is more important than the other headline news. We have a real crisis at our border that we need to pay attention to. But there is a you know, there is an article run in the Scientific American about how climate anxiety is an overwhelmingly white phenomena. So it's not enough to be concerned about the climate. If you're white and you're doing it, you must be part of the problem. We need to reevaluate our priorities and be less concerned about whiteness and climate anxiety and more about the technology that fuels human civilization and the country that has pioneered most of it. There was another story that I read uh, yesterday. And I don't even know where this was from. Let me see. It was on. Uh, okay, it doesn't say. Um, but this was an, uh, an article that uh, came out and it was talking about how collecting has become a very big deal since COVID. And it talks about, you know, retailers are reticent to speak about the trend, stating that they don't wish to be on the record talking about 
nearly sold out of $90,000 earrings during a time of growing wealth inequality. Uh, people are buying watches because they're on the home at computers all the time. And so these people who are really rich are just going through the uh, online uh, catalogs and looking what's up for auction, etc., etc. Uh, Rolex day dates that sold on the secondary market in 2020 for $30,000 are now going upward of 50000 Patek Philippe uh, watches are now, you could buy them for 85000 Now they're going for 200000 And the reason is, they say, because Switzerland, they're not making any watches right now. So there's the demand. This article was written to make you hate rich people. And how they're just buying a Mickey Mantle, uh, you know, baseball card and how much that's worth now or how they're buying these old classic cars because they're how much they're. My grandfather told me that during the Depression. You watch what the rich people did before things got bad. Because it was as if the rich people knew something that we didn't know. And that's true. And there weren't a lot of rich people. There were people like Rockefeller back then. Now there's people with real wealth all around the country. And so some of them might be spending this money because they're bored. Or usually we go onto the yacht, but we can't get out onto the water now. So I might as well buy a $250,000 coffee table. What this article does not tell you is that some rich people are now buying things of value because they know things of intrinsic. The Germans did this in hyperinflation and before the war. They were buying things of real value because the dollar, or in their case, the mark, was not worth what it was just the year before. And as you start to devalue, some people say now that your dollar is going to lose about 48 cents in the next four years. About 15% each year will be lost on the value of your dollar. So if you have $100 in the bank, in four years, you'll still have $100, but it will only have the purchase power of 51 or $52. Okay, that's cutting your wealth in half. And it's only because of what they have done at the central bank, the Fed and in Washington to that dollar. You've played by the rules. This kind of situation helps uh, hurts people who have played by the rules. Don't be surprised when you see things that auctions of art and everything else going for huge amounts of money and cars all of a sudden are going for huge amounts of money, and that, that was a 1968 Mustang. Why is it going for so much? Because people who know, people who see over the horizon are buying things with, of intrinsic value. They know that if they put in, I don't even know what an old Mustang cost, I'm hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars whatever i mean a like a, a very nice mustang yeah i, I have no idea <laughs> sure. but like a showroom Some, quality yeah. you know what Old i mean school mm-hmm. you know that that two hundred thousand dollars in that car 
is not going to lose 50% of its value in four years. It's not going to. Somebody will buy that for the equivalent of 200,000 or maybe even 150,000 four years, four years down the road, but not in American money. You know, not, not, it will be more expensive in American money. People are using these items as a store of value. They're using them as a savings account. That's why Bitcoin is going and doing what it's doing. Because Bitcoin has gone up 200%. Okay, you could go down 175%. Uh, okay, still I, I'm gaining 25% where I'm going to have it in a bank account and I'm going to lose 15, 20%. Yeah, you might want to think about that. The reason why I'm telling you this is not that, you know, we have an audience that's going to go out and buy really expensive, you know, Mustangs. Jay Leno, I'm not sure if he listens to this program. (laughs) Um, But uh, you need to start thinking about those things. You know, I said to somebody the other day, I don't smoke and I don't drink. But I think it's probably a pretty good idea to buy cigarettes and uh, vacuum seal them to buy alcohol and just keep it. Because if you don't have any money, people are going to look to trade things. And I, I don't know, cigarettes. I don't think I know anybody that really smokes. But I've been trying to start, but I haven't, I haven't, haven't got it going yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's, it's tough. It's, it's, that was my New Year's resolution. I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know. Alcohol, things that people use. You don't have to go out and buy a Mustang. You just have to think, what could I have? What could I have of value that people are going to need or want? Need is where most of us can get into and uh, protect ourselves. What is it that people are going to need that they may not be able to afford to buy, but they might have something else that I can trade for? that I might need. You have to start thinking about protecting your wealth differently. Uh, I think really for the first time uh, since the Great Depression and maybe the first time ever, because if this continues and we continue to spend like this, there will be no dollar left. So every dollar that you're holding on to will become worth less and less and less until It's worthless. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. And don't forget, rate us on iTunes. I uh, really respect Tucker Carlson. Um, I would say Tucker and I were not friends. I mean, we knew each other, but we weren't friends or anything, uh, you know, five years ago. But I respect him now. I think he is uh, a very brave voice. He had Christy Nome on uh, last night. Was that the thumbs up? She's here. No, you have the audio. She was on with Tucker Carlson last night. And uh, here's what happened efforts and i don't think oh that so you're saying so hold on just to be clear it's I not the bill the you're saying have to sue that many the... times over and over again but wait 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 so you're saying the ncaa threatened you and you don't think you can win that fight they said if you sign this we won't allow girls in south dakota to play and you don't think you can win in court even though the public overwhelmingly supports you nationally and so you're caving to the ncaa i think that's what you're saying 
No, that's not right at all, Tucker. In fact, you're wrong completely. Okay. I've been working on this issue for years. In fact, several years ago, I fought I fought USDA to make sure that 4-H rodeo and that the sport of rodeo could keep girls' events, girls' events, and boys' events, boys' events. So I've been working on this for many, many years. And back since November, I've been consulting with legal scholars and professors across the country, asking them, how do I protect women's sports? And they've gone through the steps to how I would legally challenge the NCAA and keep them from bullying the state of South Dakota. And what they've told me to do is that I need to build a coalition. So that's why today I launched DefendTitle9Now.com. And that's going to allow us to build a coalition of states that can fight the NCAA. Okay. Listen, I'm Here's the thing. <clears throat> uh, and I don't know that this is, well, let me just ask her because she's on with us now. And I, I, well, I just ask her first. Christy Noem, welcome to the program. Hi, Glenn. Thanks Hi. for having me on. Uh, you're welcome. Um, so, I so can we pick that conversation up where you were last night about coalitions? Sure. Because you're getting a name that you know people. It's amazing how how fast people can turn. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, people are saying on the right that you're caving to this transgender ban, and I can understand because I feel like we don't have many hills left, and this one is is popular with 80% of the people. This one is a hill we should die on. Uh, and it looks like you're lowering the flag. So tell me what you're doing with the coalition and why that's important. Well, when have you ever known me to cave, Glenn? I didn't I go through this whole last year um, being the only one to keep my state open in the entire nation and to fight for what was right and have everybody piling on to cave on something like this. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to be smart and solve a problem. And I think a lot of times um, we get bullied. We get bullied by the left, but the right can bully too. And they're not looking at the facts. So in this situation, the coalition that I'm forming is to go after the NCA. They have been bullying states for a long time with their policies by forcing us to allow men to participate in women's sports. Um, I'm a small state, South Dakota small. We had to fight hard to even get any tournaments or games in the state of South Dakota. And I recognize that the NCAA can come in and crush me and can make an example out of me and then point to South Dakota and say, see, no other state better challenge us whatsoever. So that's why I'm trying to be smart about this and build a coalition of athletes, of states, of governors, attorney generals, and show the NCAA that we're going to fight to make sure that only girls can play in girls' sports. Now, is so that's the, why the website defendtitle9now.com is out there, and I'm hoping everybody will go there, look at the information, sign up, so that we can send that message. Okay, so is it's not the NCAA that you're uh, worried about alone. It's what these organizations can do with the woke capital and the woke uh, businesses? exactly it that's exactly it so um we have to stand up and defend um the right that we have and the the title nine federal law that's in place that women are women and only women should play in women's sports and we can do that in a way that picks a fight that says and uh that that fails or we can do it in a smart way and build momentum so that we can actually win um, I've talked to legal scholars and professors about this issue for months. In fact, Glenn, I've been working on this issue for years. If people would do their homework once and go back and look, years ago, I fought USDA and the federal government when they were trying to force rodeo to let boys into girls' events. 
and to make girls participate in boys events. And I fought them alone and got South Dakota to be able to still keep boys and girls events separated and USDA, um, you know, turned around, did a 180 on the issue and allowed us to keep boys events, boys events and girls events, girls events. So there's no gray area for me on this. I've proven myself for years on this issue and I'll continue to do that regardless of, of who decides that they want to try to attack me and bully me. So, Christy, you know me well enough to know, because you've listened to the show for years, mm-hmm. you know that if I disagree with you, I would yes. tell you. Um, yes. Uh, and I hope my audience knows this, because the passion is uh, going against you on this right now. And I completely understand that, but I think it's misplaced. Um, you know, I told a story yesterday about Abraham Lincoln uh, before the... Um, before they did the second confiscation act, Abraham Lincoln, I have a, a note from him that he wrote to the speaker of the Senate and said, please don't adjourn. They were supposed to adjourn that night uh, and they were going to pass the the uh, second con- uh, the second confiscation act, which took slaves from the south and freed them. And uh, he wrote and said, don't 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 pass that. Don't wait. Wait. I have another idea. And he was because he was an attorney. He realized this will come back to bite us because once the war is over, we have to return the property to the two people. So we need something else. And that's what led to the Emancipation Proclamation and got rid of the Confiscation Act because it wouldn't hold. And he knew that. And I because I know what we're all up against right now, you're not going to be able to fight this by yourself. And if right. you indeed are putting together a coalition of states and and others, that is critical because, A, we don't want any bad case law uh, stacking up. Exactly right, Glenn. <clears throat> exactly right. And listen, um, you know, this is this is the war that we're in and we have to be smart and strategic so we can win it. We've seen this play out in the pro-life movement for years. Um, everybody believes we we should ban abortion outright, but we know we can't win in court. And if you look at South Dakota, I'm in the Eighth Circuit, um, which every person who's a, done an analysis on that circuit says, I, South Dakota, I and w- can go ahead and, and look at collegiate sports and we can, we can ban all um, activities for anybody who's male in a female sport. And then NTA and those organizations will come after me and then I can sue them. Absolutely, I can do that. But across the board, and I've been talking for months to legal scholars and professors about this across the country, they say, you will likely lose. There's a very, very, very good chance that you will lose this. And then that will make an example out of South Dakota. So build the momentum so that they can't just focus on a little state like South Dakota. Now, the the lies about what's going on in South Dakota right now are rampant across the country. I did not veto a bill. I did not veto the bill that the legislature sent me. What I gave them was a style and form revision that they can accept. And if they accept that, I can protect all students under the age of 18 in our K-12 system and make sure that in the state that we are making sure that only girls play in girls sports, only boys play in boys sports. I can fix all of the other um, items that they sent to me in that bill that are a trial lawyer's dream and keep all the litigation out of this so that families don't have to sue 20 times to get fairness. 
and let me do that and then let me build the coalition to win at the collegiate level. And so I did I did not veto a bill. That's a complete lie that's out there. This is a style and form revision. And I'm hopeful my legislature will see that this is the way that we can actually fight the fight and win. And at the end of the day, have a victory that really does protect women. Is it a fair character, characterization, Governor, that you you basically are sending back, let's just say, three quarters of the bill that you, you want to push through? Uh, and you're going to make yeah. changes to the other quarter? Is that a, I mean, because you're, the way I understand your reasoning here is that the everyone who is not in college would be covered by this, right? And you also had an issue with with uh, with performance enhancing drugs, right? That there would be lots of lawsuits uh, that would be associated with this the way that it's written. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, everybody that is not in college sports would be protected if they would accept my revisions. And also they sent me some regulations and reporting requirements that um, don't define what performance enhancing drugs are. And they also allow any student that didn't make a team to go back and to sue that team and that school and that individual student who would use a performance enhancing drug retroactively, but they also don't define it. So then that opens it up to all kinds of opportunities for a student who didn't make a team to go after someone a, a year in the past that also allows them to sue for emotional damages, for physical damages for, um, you know, and it's far reaching. So the litigation aspects of what they sent me just isn't workable as far as what good conservative governing do. And, and people tell me, uh, conservatives tell me, Chris, you just signed the bill. Politically, it, it, it's easier for you to fix everything. Well, governors don't do that. Governors don't get to make political decisions. We have to govern and we have to take care of our people and be smart about what we're doing and making sure we're not arbitrarily you know, taking a political position and then hurting people in the long run. So this I'm is, doing the right thing here. I know that I am. I'm hopeful that people care enough about the truth in this day and age that they will see it and that we'll have the opportunity to go forward and ensure that at all levels in collegiate sports as well, that only girls play girls' sports and that we protect Title IX. It strikes me, uh, Governor, as the, the audience that, you know, saw you stand up during COVID, and, and I, I would argue a much strong, a tougher place to stand up, uh, where standing right. up for women playing women's sports seems relatively obvious. Um, right. so my knowing the audience as we've seen over the years, they're they're they they can. I think what you're saying is logical to to most people, but they're concerned that what happens over and over again with politicians is they say, "Well, I can't do this right now. I'll do it later." And we'll put together this coalition. We'll yeah. fight, and then they don't see that fight, and they'll hold you accountable if you don't if you don't follow so through with this. Can you speak to the people that feel, quite honestly, like I do? Come on, don't surrender. We please. We are in the fight of our life, and we've got to have somebody who's willing to stand. Do you understand that feeling from the people who are upset? And can you speak to that? I can, but I don't know why they're doubting me. The last 12 months, 18 months, hasn't proven myself. And you have to go back three years to see that I've already fought this fight in my state and stood and was the only one. I didn't have any help from my congressional delegation or the state government or any time when I was fighting for 4-H rodeo and for rodeo to remain girls events and boys events. I did that alone with with that sport in the state of South Dakota. So the fact that people are questioning me is because they haven't done their homework and they don't know me and they haven't watched my career. And I can go home, you know, 
and uh, and I'm in South Dakota and can be happy and and do that. But the people who are judging me right now are the people who are the political ones. And they're they're not the ones who really care about governing and making sure that we're doing what needs to be done in this country. So what's unfortunate to me is the um, lies and deceit that are out there around this issue, because there's nobody that's proven themselves more on this particular issue than I have. I've already delivered for them in my state and I will for the country if they will uh, give me the chance to build this coalition and show that we can get it done. Uh, Governor Christy Nome, uh, I honestly didn't know for sure which way I was going to how this interview was going to end. Um, but I can tell you, I am happy to say uh, you haven't disappointed me. I think you're doing the exact right thing. And a lot of people don't understand that yet uh, because uh, they're so they're so used to politicians caving Um but thank you for that. Also, thank you for the abortion uh, as a dad of a special needs child. I know that you're signing a bill today that has passed the House mm-hmm. and Senate uh, has been in the works for for, uh, you know, a long time. And weeks ago, it, it passed. You're uh, going to sign this today. Uh, that is a good hill yeah. to to not die yeah. on, but to live on. <laughs> thank absolutely, you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Glenn. You Appreciate bet. It. Governor Christy Nome. Uh, from South Dakota. Na, 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 na.